So I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, and at the risk of derailing my opening illustration, I want to address this. Um, if you know, there was a shooting yesterday at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And uh, I, w- I want to say this. We should be appalled. We should be appalled that that happened in our nation. And um, the freedoms we enjoy, that God has given us, even in places of worship, even contrary to our own, we should protect those. We should be appalled that that happened. Number two, I want to tell you that we, want to, we should be praying for that synagogue and the people there. Uh, number three, I want to let you know that we have put plans in action for emergencies, even an active shooter. In fact, we had training yesterday for that. So those things are in place. That does not make us bulletproof. But I want you to know we're not putting our head in the sand and we're addressing those issues. Um, last of all, and here's the thing, folks. I'm not thinking this of anybody in this room. But I also know that Satan is alive and well and he tries to deceive us. And if anyone in this room somehow has ideas of going out and shooting people or attacking people that you disagree with or are angry with, you need to get away. Get away from firearms for right now because that is just, your heart is not in the right place. Your heart is not in the right place. I understand it's the Second Amendment right, but you're not in a place to exercise that with self-control. And the Scripture says, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. So I just want to address that as your pastor. Do not go down that path of destruction. So I'm going to pray very quickly, and then we'll go ahead and get into God's Word today. So Lord, we are your people, and you have given us the blessing of being in a nation where we can worship without fear. And that right is given to those even who don't, do not know you. But it's a right that we enjoy. And Lord Jesus, you said that you came to give life and give it to the full. But we have an enemy who seeks to come kill, steal, and destroy. So we want to take our stand against him. And Lord, we pray that you would give our leaders wisdom. You will help them make decisions that are are beneficial, that we might live in peace here in our nation. But we also, as your ambassadors, your people, want to be salt and light. And we recognize that the, the weapons of our warfare are not spear, shield, uh, or firearm. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the shield of faith. It is the breastplate of righteousness. It is the helm of salvation. It is the gospel of peace. So make our, our feet swift and beautiful that you might use your gospel message to transform hearts. That is the hope for our nation, Lord. And we pray for it. Pray that you would have mercy among us. So Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So, transitioning from a sober thought to maybe a lighter thought. I love the 4th of July. I do. And you know one of the reasons I love it? I love the food. I love the celebration. But I really like the fireworks. 
If I'm honest, I'm just a kid at heart. I love shooting off fireworks. It's really fun. Now, it's been a major adjustment coming to Minnesota because they don't allow us to shoot off the good fireworks. Well, in Nebraska, you know, we could do the mortars, and it was really cool. And here's like, oh, can't go above six feet or whatever. It's like, okay, all right. But here's my plan, you know. I wait till like three hours before the fireworks stands close on, on July 4th, and then I go. I set aside an amount of money, and I buy up all that I can. Everything that's on sale. You know, they're trying to get rid of all this stuff. They can't hold on to it. And then we bring them home and we have our own little fireworks show here at, uh, on Ruby Lane usually. But there's a greater reality to the 4th of July that needs to be celebrated than just shooting off fireworks. You see, we have been given independence from a nation that treats us as, as second-class citizens. We have rights and freedoms and privileges that we enjoy as citizens of the United States. Where in this nation, each citizen is treated, or should be treated, equal protection in the sight of the law. We have the freedom of religion. We have the freedom of speech and expression. We have the right to bear arms, and I pray that we use that wisely. We have the right to vote, to have a say in our government. And by the way, I hope you do vote coming up. And be praying for what God, how God would have you vote. But, and like it or not, like it or not, what you see in this nation, we are a privileged people. And we should rejoice in that. And here's the thing. If my greatest joy as an American citizen is found in shooting off fireworks, I've missed it. If my greatest joy is eating hamburgers and hot dogs or potato salad on July 4th, I've missed it. We should be celebrating. Our greatest joy should be in the freedoms and privileges that we enjoy as American citizens. So today there's a greater thing we should be rejoicing in. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And the 72 followers of Jesus who he just sent out to go before him, they come back. And they're rejoicing in their ministry success, that the demons are even subject to them. And Jesus helps them to reframe their joy and the privilege they have in being included in the kingdom of God. That their names are recorded in heaven. And for us as well, we should be rejoicing in the fact that we are in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed to them... To little children, yes, Father, for this you were pleased to do. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let me pray for us and then we'll go ahead and get into God's word here. Indeed, Lord, we are privileged to be yours. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see that privilege today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room who does not know you, that you would graciously open their eyes. Reveal yourself to them, Lord Jesus. Again, it's in your name I pray. Amen. So again, we saw the 72 launched out into ministry to go before Jesus, to proclaim his kingdom. They were given instruction, and they were told to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. That God has sent his Messiah, his kingdom demands a response. So we're now, we're, what we're getting is the kind of debrief, the aftermath of what the response was. And the word that comes to mind as I read this passage, and I've used it already, is the word privilege. Privilege. That is rights, authority, benefits that are given, and not everyone enjoys them. Again, if you're an American citizen, there are many benefits and privileges you enjoy. Even so, if you're a follower of Christ, you are privileged. And that's the main thing I want you to hear today. If you are in Christ... You are privileged. And there are so many privileges. And privileges that not everyone has. People that do not believe do not have these privileges. And frankly, the list is humongous. I'm just going to focus on three today. But first of all, to rejoice in the privilege of being recorded as redeemed. To rejoice in the privilege of being recorded as redeemed. Look at verse 17 again. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. The 72 come back and they're excited about what they saw happen in their ministry. They're excited about this ministry success. I liken it to what happens when we send out a team sometimes on a short-term mission. And they're in a place where they are, have to be dependent upon God because things aren't like they were back in Rochester. And they have to depend on, upon Him. They have to pray. They have to look for God to show up. And He does. And connections are made that normally wouldn't happen. And maybe someone comes to faith. And people come back excited. In fact, some people come back so excited they say, I'm going again. I'm signing me up again. I'm ready to go. And sometimes, that's what I call a ministry or missions junkie. Because they want to keep seeing good things happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that can't be the, the substance of your relationship with God. And gently, Jesus refocuses their joy. He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. (laughs) Jesus acknowledges the spiritual conflict. (laughs) Look, it's there. He's been casting out demons all throughout his ministry. In fact, he saw Satan fall from heaven because he tried to exalt himself over God. However, this is not just about that. The word Satan means adversary. And anyone who... Satan is against any man or woman made in the image of God. He's doing whatever he can to afflict us and cause us to rebel against our Maker, to put us in a place of condemnation. Jesus, the Savior, who brings the kingdom of God, He comes and brings reconciliation between holy God and sinful man. And those who are His are given authority and given spiritual protection. Verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. I want want to say this, and I don't want to go down too far down a rabbit trail, but I, I want to say this is not a guarantee from bodily harm, folks. This is not a guarantee from bodily harm. It is God's spiritual protection that He will protect you from the enemy. But listen, Jesus has already said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. It's loosely paraphrasing. And, and the song we sang earlier, that was a quote from Revelation twelve eleven, which talks about the believers who are experiencing the attack of Satan. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Jesus offers spiritual protection, but it's not always for this life in this world. But Jesus' refocus is not on the spiritual authority or ministry success. Rather, it is a transfer of ownership of whose we are, who we belong to. Do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Heaven is a euphemism for where God dwells. God has your name written down as His. You're one of His. That was true for the 72. It's true for us who believe in Jesus and follow Him today. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Paul explains it this way in his letter to the Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves to whom we have redempt, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. God has redeemed us, bought us back to himself with his blood in order to make us adopted sons and daughters that are his. The Apostle John would express it in his letter, his first epistle, saying, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons, 
the daughters of God. If you are in Christ, you have the privilege of being His. His precious son, His precious daughter, His precious possession. God carries a picture of you in His wallet, if you will. I know it's on cell phones nowadays, I get it. But you are His. You are His. Do you ever stop and rejoice in that? We ought to. We ought to. We have to rejoice in the privilege we have of being recorded as being redeemed. I'd encourage you sometime this afternoon, take five, ten minutes and just take some time to meditate, to pray. Say, Lord, help me to rejoice in my salvation, in my belonging to you. If you need some help, I'd recommend you read the first chapter of Ephesians. <laughs> it's a letter that just says God has backed up the truck and lavished His grace on you. Or Romans 8, where he tells us that God, the Holy Spirit, is interceding for us with groans too deep for words. That God the Son is seated next to the Father, interceding for you and me, and that there's nothing that can separate us from His love. Take some time to rejoice in that today. Reflect on that. Well, i got to keep going. Because interestingly enough, Jesus, in this occasion, has great joy about what has taken place. This is about rejoicing in the privilege of divine disclosure. Verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by the Father. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Son. No one knows who the Son except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Again, note that Jesus is rejoicing. He's exceed, rejoicing exceedingly through the Holy Spirit. First of all, that the Father <coughs> reveals these things, that of the kingdom of God, that of who the Messiah is, not to the wise and the learned, the brilliant of this world, but rather to those who are little children. Those who the world considers less than. And number two, notice that all things have been given to Jesus by the Father. And he says, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. First of all, just from a theological standpoint, notice that all three persons of the Trinity are involved in this. But, if, again, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, count yourself privileged that God has revealed Himself to you. Has revealed Christ to you. You see, we live in a world that values research, values scholarship. And you know what? 
There's nothing wrong with that. Scholarship has its place. There's nothing wrong with study. God is not against intellect. But seeing and understanding who Jesus is and responding by faith is not going to take place by merely academic pursuit or study. In Jesus' day, there were men who had memorized pretty much the whole Old Testament. And if they missed it, they missed Jesus. They had the scriptures memorized and they couldn't see who Jesus was. Because they had preconceived ideas. And number two, I'll say this. Sometimes knowledge puffs you up. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. They couldn't see past their own pride. Because Jesus was challenging that. And today, there are a lot of biblical scholars, people who can run circles around myself as far as like understanding the original language and even theology, but they don't see Jesus for who He really is, as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. Because they seek to apprehend Him by their own intellect, their own academic acumen, their own understanding, their own worldview and presuppositions. And oftentimes they relegate his claims as inauthentic or made up by his followers later. Because, not because of any good reason, but it just seems preposterous to them. That can't be. In fact, during the turn of the century, the age of reason, the definition of a miracle was something that could not happen. Try and figure out that logically when applying that to the Scriptures. And they judge Jesus' words instead of allow Jesus' words to judge them. And folks, I'm not saying that in judgment of them. Because we're all darkened until God opens our eyes to Himself. Here's the truth. God says it three times in His Word. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. He says it once in Proverbs. He says it in James. He says it in the, the uh, last chapter of 1 Peter. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, on the other hand, I want, I want to say this. It's not as though God has completely veiled himself to people who are smart. Or brilliant, and you don't need to check your brains at the door when following Jesus. God has called many brilliant people to Himself. The Magi, the Apostle Paul, St. August, Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, Sir Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Ravi Zacharias, D.A. Carson. But the truth of the matter is, as brilliant as people are, he can only be truly understood or revealed by God himself when the Spirit illumines. That's why Jesus says, if a man is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, he must be born from above. He must be born again. It has to be the Holy Spirit who opens their eyes. Again, in this passage, Jesus is saying, God the Father reveals this to little children. Those who will humble themselves. In fact, a little later on in the gospel, Jesus is going to say this in chapter 18, verse 17. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child 
will never enter it. There's a certain point where you have to say, God, I trust you beyond my own understanding, beyond what I can figure out, beyond what I know. There's a humbling there. Not childishness, but childlike. There's a humbling there. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about it in these terms. Using the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. In 1 Corinthians he says, For the the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness that was preached to save those who believe. If you're a follower of Christ, you should be rejoicing in the fact that God has mercifully revealed Himself to you. He's revealed Himself to you in Christ. And that should never be, that should never be a matter of pride for us. That should be a matter of gratitude. Because he's the one who did it. And frankly, it should give us compassion for those who don't see. Because sometimes you're going, don't you see? Don't you see? No, they don't. Because they need God to open their eyes. And we need God to do that. And we need to be praying for people that God would open their eyes as we seek to, to share him with them. Number three. Rejoice in the privilege of tremendous timing. Verses 23 and 24. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it. And hear what you hear, but it did not hear it. This is one of those private moments where Jesus takes his twelve. He's not trying to exclude anybody, but it's going, guys, don't you get it? Don't you get the privilege that you're receiving right now? Where all the prophets had prophesied in the Scriptures, you get to see it. It's being played out right in front of you. What a privilege to see this. You are blessed. And today... In 2018 A.D., annual Domini, which means the year of our Lord, we have the whole picture, at least, of how the church was born, how the gospel has come and invaded the world. Not only Jesus' ministry, the birth of the church, the the gospel spreading to the world, we live in privileged times because we get to see what God promised in the Old Testament and how he fulfilled it in the New Testament. Think about this. If you were one of those prophets that were prophesying about the Messiah, wouldn't you be saying, what am I talking about? I have no idea. I know God put this in my heart and my mind, but I have no idea what I'm saying. David in Psalm 110 verse 1 
where he has this vision. He says, I said to the Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, excuse me, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Who, who is that Lord that Yahweh will make his enemies sit at his footstool? What, what does that mean? And, and why does David, the anointed one of God, call this man Lord? You've got Isaiah. I wonder what he was thinking when he wrote Isaiah 53 about this suffering servant whose wounds, by whose wounds we would be healed, by whom all of our iniquities fall upon him. I wonder what he's thinking, who is this? What does that look like? Or Jeremiah, who prophesies about David's righteous branch in Jeremiah 33, verses 15 through 16. Who will do what is right and just, who will save Judah and Jerusalem, and of whom it will say, the Lord is our righteousness. What does that look like? Or Daniel, who has this vision of the Son of Man in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 who was given authority and glory and sovereign power in all nations and peoples, and every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who? What? When? God, what does this mean? They didn't get to see it. They knew God promised it. They didn't have categories for it. In front of us, the picture is put together. Even Simeon, the man who's found in the temple when Jesus is dedicated, who says as he holds in the infant Jesus, and now I've seen your salvation. Still, he didn't see all that Jesus would do and accomplish. This is how the Apostle Peter comments on this. Chapter 1 of his first epistle, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was painting, appointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And when they spoke of the things that they have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels longed to look into these things. Even the angels didn't have the full picture. We are privileged, folks. We are privileged to see God's plan, to see it play out, to see the big picture. And we have the privilege to look forward to the fact that Jesus is going to return. Return for us because we are His. So I just want to ask the question at the end of this. What would it be like for us to lean heavily into this privilege that we have and the joy we should have in it in Christ? Again, leaning into the privilege and the joy that we are His. 
We are His. Yes, we have spiritual authority and protection, but ultimately we are His and nothing can separate us from His love. Nothing. And the joy and the privilege that He has revealed Himself to us. Not everyone around us sees that, but He has revealed it to us. He's made Himself known. Given us the grace to see. And we need to be praying for others that they would see as well. And the joy and the privilege, the fact, the fact that we, we have the big picture. You know, I think sometimes, folks, we get frustrated with the mundane things of life. And sometimes we even wish that we lived back in the time where those miracles took place. Where we see God split the Red Sea. Or we see people healed. Yeah, and that's very cool. But we have the privilege of seeing the whole big picture. God was piecing it together for those folks. We see it all. And He has appointed us, folks, for this time. You and me. Again, back to this verse. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He Planned for us when? Beforehand. Beforehand, he said, you know what? I printed Brian Holty to be here in this time and to make a difference for my kingdom. I appointed John Downer for this time, for such a time as this, to make a difference. I have appointed you for this time that you might enjoy all that I've done in, in my salvation. That you would have joy and the world would see that. What kind of difference does that make? And look, if there's somebody in here who's not yet put their faith in Christ, I want to say this to you. God does want you to enjoy the privileges of being His son, of being His daughter. But you have to come in humility. Because God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. You need to know that you need Him. You need, to, you need Him to open up your eyes to see Him. And you need Him to pay your price for standing in His presence. And He's accomplished that. Will you accept that? Will you receive that? I've quoted this verse many times, but it's God's word, and I'll repeat it again. John 1.12 To as many as received him, even those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. That privilege can be yours. You can be his son. You can be his daughter. But you have to open up your heart and say, Lord, I need you. I need what you have done. He's opening that privilege up to you today. But bottom line is, folks, if you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, you enjoy great privilege. Great privilege. And our response should be to rejoice. To rejoice in that. May God give us grace to do so. Let me pray for us, and then we come, Aaron, and close us in worship.
So Father, we are grateful for this word. Jesus, we're grateful for your words that encourage us of all the privilege we have in you. And Lord, we've just minorly scratched the surface. But I do say thank you for the privilege, for the grace that we receive, that you have reached into our lives, so many of us, and drawn us to yourself, drawn us out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom, the kingdom of light. That is truly amazing grace. And now that we are yours, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. What an amazing and glorious thought. Would you give us grateful hearts? Would you make us mindful and thoughtful to rejoice in you? And give us great joy in the Holy Spirit, even as we read Jesus was rejoicing in the Holy Spirit today. Come and bring us that joy, the joy of the Lord, that it might be our strength. So we worship you and praise you and give you the glory. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.